Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Welcome to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-hosts, Liz Luce and Jennifer Townsend. Hello, you all. Hello. We are joined today with some foster care alumni, Nick, Lachelle, and Jessica, who are going to be talking about their experiences in the foster care system and how that's led them to their profession today. So welcome, you three. Thank Hello. you. All right. So we're going to start by just having you all tell us a little bit about yourself. So can you tell us your name, um, where you came into care, so like what city and state, when you came into care, how long you were in care, all those things about you. Nick, you can go first. Um, Nicholas Keith from Dothan, Alabama. I was in the Alabama foster care system for approximately six years. First came into care in, uh, I think when I was about five years old and then when I was adopted when I was 11. Cool. Lachelle. Hello everyone. My name is Lachelle Simpson. I came into care about ages three to four in Kansas city, Missouri. Okay. Um, and how long were you in care? I was in care until age 23. Were you adopted? No, I was offered to be adopted, but I didn't want to. Okay, so you aged out of the foster care system? Yes. Okay. And Jessica. Hello, my name is Jessica Turner. I came into care in California. I was about three years old, and my grandmother took guardianship of me around three or four. Okay. And you stayed in guardianship? Until I was 17. Okay, cool. So my first question is for you, Lachelle. We know that hundreds of, of kids in the state of Missouri age out of foster care every year, and it's extremely hard for them to make it as young adults when they don't have the supports that they need. Can you talk to us about your experience as a young adult who was aging out of care? Did you feel like you had the supports that you needed? What was that experience like for you? Um, It was a good and a bad experience. I had a really good case manager, so she wrote up an ILP plan. That means independent living plan. Went on to college, had scholarships, took advantage of the ETV educational grant. Um, I was enrolled into the driver's ed program through Chafee. And also, um, I received the maintenance check that the foster parents that I was living with at the time was receiving from me in about $350 a month. So I started off good during my between 18 and 21, um, got into a relationship that wasn't good. And um, as at the time I decided to take off a semester of college and it's like when I did that, everything went bad. So my car broke down. I got evicted out of my apartment and um, <clears throat> I was trying to debate if I wanted to come back to Kansas City. I was being really prideful. I did, when I went to St. Louis for college, have the best relationship with my former foster parents. But they always were there if I needed them. So I swallowed my pride, told them what was going on, and they allowed me to come back to Kansas City and live with them as long as I needed to. So um, 
I would say that was the best support system for me to age out because um, I had maybe a year left when I was <coughs> turning 21 where um, I could still kind of have a little bit of a benefit from the state. So I lived with my foster parents, paid off my eviction I had got, and started to get myself stabilized and went from there. So um, I would say having a support system does help because if you find yourself, you know, making decisions that aren't the best for you and you don't have anyone to reach out to, you probably could find yourself, you know, getting in an even deeper sinkhole. And so what would you say would be the biggest struggle that you see for young people aging out of the system today? What are the things that are keeping them from being successful and using those resources, do you think? I think a lot of it is pride and they thinking that the friends that they have is going to always be there. But if they themselves do not have anyone that they can lean on financially, emotionally and mentally, um, then it's going to make the situation worse. So I would say, you know, if they didn't even know where to start, maybe look up somehow, some way that case manager that they had before they were released out of care to figure out a plan to get stabilized and be independent successfully again. And did you feel like you were offered enough supports? What do you wish that the system had offered you maybe that you didn't get? Um, I do feel like I was offered a lot of supports. Um I fortunately, when I participated on the Youth Advisory Board with Karen Candy, I was mm. exposed to a lot of different resources then. So um, I kind of was able to make a good enough plan for myself. That played a big part into why I did not get adopted, because I kind of already had an independent plan that I wanted to do. So, Have you ever reconsidered um, being adopted as an adult? Um, no, I'm... I always kind of been a person where I wanted to do things on my own. I even was told by a therapist while I was in care that I can't play the mother role because I was like the third oldest of 10 siblings. And I always tried to make sure that they were okay. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of that comes from. I even to this day, I'll try to figure it out by myself before I go ask for help from somebody. But you do feel like you have that connection and that relationship like a mother with her. With my foster parents, no. Um, <clears throat> I don't even feel that way about my biological parents just because um, it was kind of separated where we're going to take care of you, we're going to do what we're supposed to do, but the emotional part, it wasn't on that level. And then also because I think every child that gets taken from the home always wants to get that dream field of being reunited with their biological parents so i always kind of separated it as well mm -hmm. and are I mean, you are you still connected with any of your biological family today yes the ones i choose to yes <laughs> how, how has that been working for you um i just make sure that those people that are in my circle are healthy relationships um also the fact that i'm a mother Everything that I do, I want to make sure that it's very um, positively influential in my son's life. So there are some family members that are making choices that are not the best, and I don't choose to go around them. But I do still love them. But, yeah. Who would you consider a parental role model if, if there's anyone you can think of? In my family? No, just anyone. Um... I would say I did get a parental role model from my foster parents. There are some things, and I think every person goes through this. They feel like, well, I'm going to make certain decisions differently when I get children. Mm -hmm. You know, we all don't agree. We go through that rebellious stage as being a teenager. But 
I will say, like, if there's important things that I'm, I'm need to make decisions about, like now I'm thinking about retirement and stocks and investing, I've talked to my foster parents about how I go about that and life insurance policies and things like that. So I would say that they are the ones I go to for those major decisions. Okay, cool. And so um, in a few minutes we have to go to break, but we can go ahead and start into you, Jessica, and talking about a little bit of your experiences. Uh, so you were placed in guardianship, and about 44% of the young people who come into care in Missouri end up in a guardianship placement, meaning that some blood relative of some sort is taking care of them, relative placement. Can you talk to us a little bit, start talking to us about what that experience was like for you growing up with your grandma? Sure. Living with my grandmother now at 23, um, <coughs> I can say that it was good because I didn't really experience living outside of my family. My grandmother was my father's mom, so I seen my dad often, and I was around family members. Um, my dad has 18 kids, and so my grandmother took care of every single one of them, so that's how I was kind of connected through my sisters and brothers and cousins. So what was it like for you growing up in that environment then? Can you talk about some of the things that you all did together, how your family was? Um, well, my grandmother took guardianship of me and my older sister, Jillian. She's four years older than me. And we didn't really do, like, family things. It was just me and my sister that was connected, even though they kind of labeled us as rival sisters because mm -hmm. she never, we never really got along. I don't know why, but we never really got along for it. Um, but me and my sister, we kind of just did everything and played roles for each other. I remember my dad one year he had built us a treehouse, and we played like how we would want our family to be. Um, we, she played the mom, and we pretended how we would want our mom to be, and we played family a lot, and we just did everything like how we would want everything to be. We did that pretty much every day, so I think that's how to, kind of how we got through because we just played family with each other. And for you, was it... Were you was it nice being connected to your birth family still? Did you feel like you still were able to maintain those connections because you were with your grandma? I feel, well, with my dad, yeah. My dad, um, well, both of my parents were drug addicts, and my dad, he stayed around. I don't know if it's just because my grandmother was his mom or he just wanted to, but I never really fought my dad for what he did. Um, my mom, she'll come in and out three years she'll leave and she'll come back out of nowhere. And um, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? No, you're okay. at, Yeah. Being connected to your family. What was that like? Did oh, okay. you feel like you still were connected to them? Yeah, somewhat um, to my sisters and brothers. Yeah. But my mom, she um, at first I thought it was normal to live with the grandparents because like everyone in my family did it. We never I've never really seen anyone in my family live with their parents. So I thought that when you parents have kids you just automatically go to your grandparents mm -hmm. so that was pretty normal for us but once I started to like kind of grow up I started to see that my parents were not good role models to us okay okay so we have to go to break but when we come back I want to continue talking with you Jessica about what that guardianship looked like and then we'll get into Nick's story from the adoption experience. So we'll have more about our foster care alumni experiences when we return on Fostering Hope.
Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-hosts, Jennifer Townsend and Liz Luce. We've been talking today with Lachelle, Jessica, and Nick about their foster care experience and how that's affected their lives as young adults. So before break, we heard a little bit about Lachelle's story and aging out of foster care, and we started talking with you, Jessica, about guardianship, and you were talking about having your dad involved in your life still. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what that relationship was like having your dad involved in your life whilst not having actual custody of you, what was that experience like for you? <coughs> okay. Um, my dad was like my best friend. He was like um, real kiddish. He kind of just did everything that I wanted him to do. Um, like when it came to toys and taking me places, he played like my age. He was like my age. I don't know if it was just a part of what he was doing at the time or is it just that he just um was being a parent to me but um to go back on that my dad doesn't really have an education I believe that my dad stopped going to school in his early middle school or elementary because um my dad only really knows how to spell his name um I'm not sure if he really knows how to spell my name I know he knows it but I'm not sure if he knows how to spell me and my sister's and brother's name because my grandmother really never forced his education. And when my mom came around, um, she tried to help him with hooked on phonics. And my grandmother hated her for that, for it. She just wanted my dad to be, to like have, she wanted to like cuddle my dad. I don't, mm-hmm. it's hard to explain. So, um, yeah, me, I let my da- dad know everything. Um, when I was going to a friend's house and I wanted to stay a little longer, I'll have my dad call my grandmother to kind of inch out a little fibbing <laughs> and he'll kind of um, tell a story for me and he'll take me and my friends everywhere and he'll come sometimes high like to the graduations he'll be really embarrassing and um, walk on stages and looking crazy but I loved him just solely because I wanted him to be around because at one point I started to realize what they were doing so I know that um well, I thought that they just didn't want to come around just because they were um, high on their drugs. But I just wanted them around just because, I'm, I mean, they're my parents. I loved them. And um, my mom, she came in and out like every couple of years she'll come. I remember, I'll probably never forget this. I remember what she had on and everything. I was standing, uh, well, she was standing at a corner. And, and my grandmother, it's me and my grandmother and my sister Jillian, and we rode past her, and I knew I knew this woman. I just couldn't say where. I knew I knew her from somewhere. And we got home, and my grandmother was talking to um, her sister on the phone and saying how it was a shame that Jody, which is my mom, um, would be standing at the corner um, high on drugs and asking for money, and her kids were there. So I, I knew that was my mom. And so from there, it didn't make me upset. I just wanted to, like, love her and have like just let her know that um, someone loved her. How how old were you when you realized that your parents were abusing drugs? I was young. I had to be around seven. I knew about drugs before I knew the latest doll that came out. So, so you had stated earlier that there were 18. Your dad had 18 um, children, correct? And that your grandmother yes. raised all of them. You were speaking specifically about you and your sister. Were the other 16 in the home at the same time that you were, or were they in and out, different ages? What did that look like? Um, when I was three, um, in California, it's a city called Palmdale, 
and our house burned down. There's a lot of stories to it, but um, what I was told was my mom um, fell asleep while doing drugs and the house ended up burning. And it was, I probably think it was seven of us there at the time. So when they came and um, to place all of us, or I'm not sure I was three, but they came and two of us went with my grandmother, two went with my my mom's brother, and we kind of just like doubled up from there. Two of us just went to a different family member. But you all stayed in contact because yeah. you were always Yeah, uh, my uncle, he lived, he moved like six blocks up from my grandmother. So my sister's three years older than my older sister, Jillian. So they were at elementary together. When I was going into first grade, my sister was graduating fifth grade. Um, that's the one who I lived with, though. So we were we all went to the same schools, not the same time, but we all went to the same elementary, middle schools, and high schools. We were all connected. Yeah, like, on the that seems like a lot stuff. of connections. Yeah. I also, um, so you had also stated that your grandmother didn't necessarily force your, your dad into the educational setting that almost got mad at your mom for trying to teach right. him how to read. How did that translate to taking care of you and your sister? What were the expectations for you? Because you are a very intelligent, successful woman. So I'm wondering, were the expectations different for you, or did, or is that all you? Oh, no, it was the same. My grandmother, she didn't care. Um, me and my sister, we tutored each other on a lot. Um, I taught my sister how to read and write, and she told me she taught me how to do math. And we did it like that. Um, any times I had problems at school, my the teachers knew to call my grandmother, but they knew that my sister would be the one to come up there to help me with my things. And they let her. And that's how it went. Me and my sister just studied with each other. If I didn't know something, if she didn't know, we just wouldn't have known. That's amazing. I'm. That's amazing. Do you wish anything had been different at that time? With? Your family structure or? Oh, yeah. I um, well, my grandmother, I just wish that she kind of, cause I, I never had, um, like a role model. I taught myself a lot. So I kind of have a lot of problems with that as a kid. Cause I thought, um, that I knew a lot cause I taught myself a lot. Mm-hmm. And, um, like I won't say that, I mean, that was their choice. It was way before I came along, but I just wish that, um, at least one of us would have been, my mom has seven kids. So at least one of us would have been the breaking point for them to stop what they were doing. And um, I just want, I mean, I had my parents, but I wish that even if I wasn't living with them, that if I needed something, cause I, it was a lot of times where I talked with myself and figured mm-hmm. things out. So I won't be sad or mad or I won't, be less of have less of something Mm -hmm. and um i thought i was crazy because it was was always me and um so i just wish that someone was there for me just to help me as a kid instead of just telling me that i'm my own person and i have to teach myself so what so what are your relationships with your parents like today um me and my dad still the same love my dad (laughs) no i i love him so much because he always um was real with me about it. I knew that he was doing the drugs. He just, he sat me down one time in the backyard and told me that he'll never put it before me. He'll always be there for me. Um, my mom, I forgave. And I, I I only forgave because I wanted to show them something different. Like, I know that my dad started drugs at a young age. And my mom, she was forced to. Her mom, her mom's boyfriend, when he'll get upset with her, he 
he drugged my mom up. So that was kind of something that she was just used to. So I um, I love her. I don't fought her for anything. I just had her out here to help me with my daughter. And I just kind of have her live through my daughter to help with that. And she does it. So so are they able to stay clean around your your child? Oh, yeah. My dad, he, my dad has to take a drug to not take a drug. He has to take methadone. So he um, won't get addicted back to the drug. And my mom, she's oh, she's okay. She doesn't do anything that I know of. <laughs> so she's pretty normal, and she's she's doing it. And so I just I just go from there. There's answers that I will want, but I just get over it and just thank God that I have them. Okay. And so we have to go to break again, but when we return, we will hear from Nick and his experiences as an adopted person and what that looks like. And then we'll continue to talk some more about your guys' experiences and how that's affected you as young adults working in the child welfare system when we return on Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I'm your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-hosts, Liz Luce and Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking today to some foster care alumni, Jessica, Lachelle, and Nick, about their experiences, and we're getting into how that has shaped their professions. So we, before break, we've talked with both Jessica and Lachelle about their experiences, and so Nick, we wanted to hear about your experience, especially as an adopted person. So can you walk us through what brought you into care, how long you were in care in terms of foster home placements and when you were adopted and what that was like. I was brought into care when I was five years old and due to abuse and neglect in the Alabama foster care system. And then when I was about 10 years old, I was placed into a Baptist boys home. Um, I was very fortunate that the mom and the dad there were both very good advocates on my behalf because when I was placed in there, the really good social worker that I did have the first four years of care was no longer around. And the current social worker that I had um, didn't call, wasn't really around very much. So the foster mother had to call and constantly check in and see if they were either going to terminate my mother's rights or if they were going to place me into a permanent boys' home to end up aging out of care. And after being there for a little while, the social worker decided that they wanted to place me into a boys' home to eventually age out of care. However, my foster mother didn't feel that that was appropriate and started pushing to get me adopted as much as possible. Um, even so that she started asking around at church, started asking around different family members. She's told me on one occasion that she didn't feel it was appropriate, but she wanted to put me into a home because she felt like it was needed, that I needed a forever family. So um, one day at church, she was sitting next to a person. For the first time, we had moved different pews in church, and she was sitting next to a person, and they leaned over and said, Hey, I know of a person who lived in Memphis, Tennessee, who was wanting to adopt a baby. And she said, well, I don't think it's good that she adopts a baby, but I do have someone in mind. Um, and whenever she got back, she ended up getting all their information. And it worked out that they were going to Panama City Beach, Florida, coming through Alabama. 
within around the time of me being able to uh, being able to see them. I think it was within ten days of when she had eventually talked to them. Got their background information approved. All the stuff needed to be able to come down and visit. Um, I remember going to get ice cream with another foster care sibling with them and meeting them and them coming to a rodeo that we had each month and being able to go and visit them with the whole entire boys that we had at the Baptist home. Um, they took me to Panama City Beach, Florida. I think it was a couple months later. Asked if I would like to be a member of their family. And of course, I uh, said yes. Um, it was extremely difficult for me while I was going through that process because as much as I wanted a forever family, I was also wanting to spend time with my birth mom because I didn't really know how it was going to affect me going forward. Um, so I remember my foster dad telling me that she was going to come and visit, would never show up. She would come and visit, never show up. Later on down the road, he came to me and said that he had gone to see her at a bar that she worked at several cities away and would actually walk into the bar and say, hey, are you ever going to come see your son? And there was only one time that she came. And when she was there, she mentioned how grateful she was that the parents were there and how fortunate I was to have them and decided that she'd never show up again. So um, they continually advocated and finally... The states agreed that my mother's rights would be terminated and went through with the adoption process. And I was eventually moved to uh, Memphis to be with my family I have now. So going through all of the things that you went through before being adopted, how did that affect your relationship and your stability with your adoptive parents? In the very beginning, it was extremely tough because I was really close to my birth mom. Um, Not so much because of who she was, just the fact that she was my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, to this day, I have horrible attachment issues. I can't get close to anybody. I can't be friends with anyone, as whereas most people were, you know, had friends growing up and had friends in high school or had friends going out elementary school. I never had those friendships because I didn't know how to build those friendships. Um, and to this day, it's still hard for me. But after about 14 years of counseling, I was able to start learning how to build a lot of those social skills that helped me with my parents Mm -hmm. to learn how to uh, feel what love is, be able to accept love, and then actually enjoy being part of a family. So what did that look like in terms, were there behaviors for you that, you know, we hear about foster kids who have um, gone through trauma and punching holes in walls, doing things like that. I know I had some of that myself. Did you have any of those experiences? My adopted mom loves to remind me that on occasion of just just how bad I was when I first was adopted and moved to Memphis. Uh, my adoptive father was in the military and was gone once a month for military. And whenever he was gone, I was extremely bad to her. Uh, constantly verbally aggressive towards her, punching holes in walls, mm-hmm. doing anything I could to be destructive, anything I could to destroy that relationship. Um. And there was a lot of anger built up towards my birth mom. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was the only way that I knew to take it out. And once it got me into sports and got me into therapy, eventually a lot of that kind of subsided. But um, at first it was extremely traumatic. 
Now, you mentioned that you came into care when you were five years old and then you moved into the group home when you were 10. What uh, were your placements like between the age of five and 10? Due to a lot of my own behaviors and I think a lot of my uh, the, the placements I was in because once I got around other kids, I wasn't very... I wasn't extremely well to be around or I wasn't doing well with other family members in the home. So they had moved me around from home to home. So I think I ended up going through about 20 different foster homes before I eventually got to the boys home. So as a five-year-old, five to 10 years old, 20 different foster homes. It was around that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So then do you have anything that you can remember that kind of shifted your focus with your parents? So any moments that you're like, these are my mom, this is my mom, and this is my dad. I was extremely fortunate to have very good adoptive parents who, no matter what I did, I've never seen my parents argue in the 24 years that I've been around them. They've constantly kept me in a private school. Um, they constantly took me to church every single week. Every Wednesday and Sunday, we were in church. Um, they constantly were putting me in counseling. So after a while, I knew that no matter how bad I was, they weren't going away. Mm -hmm. um, they constantly offered that support and were there with me no matter how bad I got, no matter how much I fell, because I eventually did get into drugs and alcohol at the age of 17 mm -hmm. to where things started catching up with me from all the trauma that I experienced as a kid. And it was not only was it hard to overcome the trauma as a kid, it was hard to start dealing with because I was starting to realize what happened and all the trauma that I experienced. And they stuck well, or they stuck with me the entire time and never gave up on me. Um, they were always there to talk to and easy to communicate. And now I love my mom and dad a lot. <laughs> so what is your relationship like with them today? Um, we are extremely close. I, I love my mom and dad more than anything. I call them pretty frequently. It, it's kind of hard sometimes because I am 10 hours away from them. But uh, I, I always keep in contact, and they're always telling me how proud they are because I am working in the same field that I came from. And it's extremely rewarding, and I love calling and telling them you know, things that are going on. So our relationship couldn't be better right now. That's awesome. Do you have a relationship with any of your biological family members? I didn't have a relationship with them for about eight or nine years because I had so much resentment towards my birth mom. Mm -hmm. uh, I went on a ski trip to Colorado when I was 17. It was around 16 or 17. And I came back and found my birth mom on the Internet just because I wanted to. I had a lot of questions that mm -hmm. needed to be answered. And that's how I just started or that's how I started back having a relationship with them. And it's kind of been off and on because of honestly, the the drama that they bring mm -hmm. and as much negative as much negativity as I could keep out of my life as possible right now it's for the best for me so I try and keep it as minimal as possible but I definitely do have a relationship with them because I have nieces and nephews now do you and do you have any siblings that you know about or are and are you connect connected to them I do have one brother and I have one sister my sister is 11 months younger than me my birth mom had us both. At She had me when she first turned 16 and then had my sister when she turned 17, 11 months later. And then, uh, unfortunately, some trauma happened with my birth mom, and she had my brother about four years later. And so she was a single parent at 20, 21 with three kids. 
And so um, I, I was really close with them because they were all I had when we were going through a lot of the abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was hard once I left because I wanted to cut that relationship off. Mm-hmm. But after a while, I wanted to start nurturing it a little bit more so I could be active in their life and be a role model for them. So what does that look like today? Are you connected? With I stay in contact with them uh, a little more closer to my sister than I am my brother, but I do stay in contact with them regularly. Okay. Okay. And so I know we, again, have to go to break here shortly. I just want to thank you all like, for telling us your stories. And as we come back from break, I do want to get into some of the professionalism and what you all are doing now with your work. There are so many key things that I've heard from you all talking that I just know I can relate to and I'm sure other people listening can relate to, especially that need for having your birth family involved. I think that that is something that you all have echoed again. I've echoed it. I know that the kids that we work with have echoed it. So as we get back in, I would like to kind of talk about that. How do you see those relationships or lack thereof affecting the young people that we're working with? And then what do you hope to get out of the jobs that you have when we return on Fostering Hope? Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Nathan Ross, here with my co-hosts, Liz Luce and Jennifer Townsend. We've been talking with Nick, Lachelle, and Jessica today about their foster care experience and what that has looked like. And so right before break, we heard from Nick as an adopted person and what that experience was like. And in the previous segments, we heard from Lachelle as an aged out young person and Jessica as a guardianship relative placement young person. So my question for the three of you um, is how have your experiences growing up impacted what you do today, both personally and professionally? Since the, since the age of four, I was wanting to be a police officer. I remember seeing one and I thought how cool it was just because of their police car. But after, after time, I, uh, during the course of while I was working as a cop outside of Memphis, I saw how bad the families were because of domestic violence. And between that, the experience, the trauma that I faced as a kid and the, um, all the, all the things I learned in the military, I kind of wanted to put everything together to be a good role model for today's kids. And that's why I'm working as a community connection specialist at Foster Adopt Connect and really wanting to get those kids who are aging out and trying to catch them before they get on the streets and um, doing all I can to uh, be there for them as a mentor. And so what is that job that you that you do at Foster Adopt? What does that mean, a community connection specialist? Community connection specialist, we work with kids who age out of the foster care system, 17 to 26, trying to assist them become more independent because they haven't learned a lot of those life skills that they need at that age. So not only are we trying to teach them independence, but trying to uh, teach them how to become stable in their lives, such as you know if, if they need to go and get their birth certificate or their driver's license, something that's going to help them get the employment to where they can start that um, good transition into their independence and stability. Okay, cool. Uh, So for you, Lachelle, how have your past experiences impacted your personal and professional life? Um, I knew that I wanted to do something with children. Uh, I always wanted to go to college because nobody in my family that I knew of went to college. Mm -hmm. And I was the 
third oldest of, I think it's nine. I said 10 earlier, but mm. I can't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> Every time my mom came out of prison, she had another baby. So oh. um, I started to lose count. But anyway, um, so I didn't know for sure until I got to college and I took a psychology class. And then I was like, you know what? I want to be a marriage and family therapist. I always wanted to have that family where the mother and the father was married. And I wanted to be the only child. Because mm-hmm. I had so many mm-hmm. siblings. And so um, I was just like, you know, I want to be able to help people who are having struggles in their family to be able to get those things fixed so that they don't have, you know, negative things that come about like child abuse and neglect and stuff. Or even those that are considering to have a family, like if there's issues that have gone on in their past, I want to be that person that can help them figure those things out. So, um I was really happy to find this job posting on Indeed, working with young people who have been in foster care because I was in foster care and I was a success story and I wanted to be able to help those young people be able to get past what they came from. You know, you can't use, oh, my mother was a drug addict and I was raised in foster care, woe is me. No, it's up to you to do that. I went through a lot. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's degree. I am a single mother, but... I don't let those things stop me because there's things that I want my son to be able to do, you know, that I didn't get to do. So it's just all about, I feel like, that willpower. And the clients that I work with, they do have similar experiences. Um, Some of them are single parents. Some of them come from drug-addicted parents, alcohol parents, sexual abuse, physical abuse. And I like to share my experiences to be able to inspire them that they can go to school and get their GED and go on to college and they can get those evictions off their record and get an apartment in their name. So it's like really nothing that they have shared with me that I have not experienced somewhere in my life. So um, as a community connection specialist, I find that very rewarding. And now in this field, I feel like you have to have a passion for that. You can't be doing this for the money because if you do, you will not make it yeah. so, I, um, I, I certainly do not I mean I told Nathan in the interview like this is the best paying job I've ever had honestly um, but it is it's definitely not about the money to me I have to make sure that I always keep that boundary of um, not getting too absorbed in my work okay so yeah okay cool and then for you Jessica uh, how's how have your experiences shaped your professional and personal life led to you doing what you do. I am very, very, very grateful for my struggle. I am um, happy with God that he gave me my story, um, that he picked me for, for this. Um, And the reason why I say that is because I know a lot of people that want to, like when I was young, I had to have a counselor and I probably just gave her a hard time because I just told her that she really didn't go through nothing that I went through. So she couldn't help me with my problems. And so I thank God for that. Um, and it's funny because while well, I'm a teen connection specialist and I work with kids that's 14 through 17 years old, that's currently in the foster care. And um, and I work with 10 kids. And it's funny because every single one of these kids have a part of my story like they are living something um like i have a client she was 14 and she had her her son so we like um vibe on 
being a young parent, she'll text me about certain things for her son and um, I'll let her know like how it can be because I went through postpartum myself. And um, so I just thank God that I have a story to help kids that's currently going through this because there's so many people that um, think that they're crazy or think that they are the only ones that's going through something that they're not living at home and no one's under, no one understands them. And I was that kid and um, I feel like I can help them firsthand with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as we start to wrap out this, this last segment, what would be one thing that you hope that the young people you work with get out of your time with them? Perseverance in life struggles to know that no matter what, someone's always going to be there for you. And you're never going to lose that relationship that you're building with that specialist. Do y'all have a wish? Um, just for something like Nick said, like um, I just want like the clients that I'm working with to know that I'm like a forever support. And like I said in my interview, I just want them to know that I'm I'll be there as long as they let me because I know I didn't have anyone like that, and so. I just want to be that support with them and that there's someone that actually cares about what they're really going through. Um, I would like for them to see that they don't have to be um, continuing those generational trends, no matter what was spoken over them. I had a lot of people in my life that told me, you're going to be just like your mother. Um, and I did not turn out like that. And that actually was my motivation. My father, my father was an alcoholic. My mother was a drug addict. And so I didn't drink anything until I was probably about 20. I was scared. But that was my <laughs> my hope is that they see that they can break those generational trends. Okay. Well, thank you all so much for being here with us today. I got so much from your stories, and I know that those listening also did. Um, I look forward to seeing the work that you guys continue to do. You've been listening to Fostering Hope, brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how to help vulnerable kids in other ways, please visit us at fosteradopt.org or follow us on our social media, Facebook or Twitter. Until next time, go out there and make a difference for the lives of children. 